Welcome to Running Deep, a podcast that exists to encourage women to be deeply rooted in the Word of God through every season of life. Hey ladies, this is Sarah Herring and I've got Laura Benson and Grace Coley here with me today and we're going to be talking about a season of waiting and what does it look like in a season of waiting to trust in the Lord and wait on Him and there's a lot of different types of waiting, things that we wait on um, in our different seasons. I know I've had a lot of different seasons of waiting, and we were just talking about um, what that looks like to wait. Laura, what are some things that you've had to wait on in your life? Yeah, when I think of seasons of waiting, I think mostly of um, kind of unknown things in the future, looking forward and not knowing what comes next. And so I remember when I um, graduated from college, I went several months applying for jobs left and right and kept getting rejected from all of them. And so it was waiting on, you know, what is my job going to be? Am I going to live in Iowa or should I move back with my parents? Um, Ended up getting a job. And then that first year and a half there was really hard. And so waiting for um, knowing if that was where I should stay or not. And so um, that's what I've seen in my life. I know a lot of college girls too. That's a huge source of anxiety is mm-hmm. waiting on jobs, internships, living situations, even, you know, starting in late fall, it gets hard to wait for where am I going to live next year and things yeah. like that. Um, what's that look like in your life, Sarah? Yeah, the seasons of waiting and the unknown and wanting to control the mm-hmm. answer, like what's it going to be? Um, it, it can be anything from, I'm thinking back to, waiting on, like you said, colleges, getting accepted into college, waiting on um, when Jake would pop that question to propose. That's a really annoying time to just wait, (laughs) knowing, oh, I wonder if if it's going to be today, and waiting um, on different health test results, um, waiting on uh, finding out if we're going to be pregnant, yeah, lots of different seasons of waiting. And then waiting just in general is hard. Mm-hmm. I When I think of waiting, even waiting at the store, <laughs> yeah, you know, even just simple things like that when you have to, God tests our patients in little times of waiting and then our big long seasons of waiting. It, it almost seems like we're always in some state of waiting, whether yeah. it's for a big thing or a small thing. We're always waiting for something, whether that's maybe you know, stemming out of not being content with the way things are right now, but it seems like we would want the next thing to be coming. Um, But yeah, we brought Grace here today to um, have her share a little bit more of her story and what waiting has looked like in her life. So Grace, why don't you first um, just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So yeah, I'm Grace and I actually went to UNI um, kind of before... Candeo was in town and Salt was in town, Um, but that's where I met Erin, and we got married in the spring of 2015, and not long after that is um, kind of when God put um, the burden of neglected children on my heart, Mm -hmm. Um, and just already within that following year, um, 
we started to pursue foster care and fast forward to now we um we just adopted two boys nathan is three and a half and cameron is two and a half mm-hmm. and yeah so we live here in cedar falls and we've been going to candeo for i think three years now yeah and you guys are connection group leaders at candeo and you've been leading for two years now is that correct yep. and they lead with ellie and jordan howell and we so appreciate your leadership in that. And I've heard a lot of great things about your connection group. So it's always fun to hear those stories too. Yeah. So Grace, it sounds like a big part of your story um, kind of revolves around fostering and adopting and what it looked like to wait on the Lord in the midst of that. So why don't you share more about what that looked like in your life? Sure. So um, when Erin and I got married, Foster care and adoption was something we hadn't talked about. It wasn't something that we anticipated for our future, um, but it also wasn't something that was foreign to either of us. Um, I have a brother who's adopted, mm-hmm. and Aaron's dad is adopted, and so is his stepdad. Mm-hmm. And so adoption was something that was very normal to both of us. And so when this all kind of started coming up and God really put this on our heart, it was something that was easy for both of us to understand just because mm-hmm. it's something that we grew up with. So really how it, what happened was there was a, we, at the time when we first got married, we lived in a little old duplex in Waterloo. And one night we were driving and it was dark out and there was, we noticed this little person walking um, across the street. It w- this was over by um, the Waterloo Target. Mm-hmm. And she was by herself and she was very small and someone else had pulled over and gotten out of the car and it was an older man and you know so we just thought yeah we should pull over too. And um, so we pulled over and just kind of you know got down on her level and asked her like do you know where your mom is? Do you know where your home is, and she was too young to answer any of those questions. So, like, how old do you think she was? Um, well, we found out later she ha- was not yet two. Oh, my mm-hmm. word. Um, yeah. And so, and, and she was barefoot, and she she kept saying juice. That's something that I we could understand. And she was walking towards um, that, I think it's a quick star gas station. And um, so... Okay, so we, we took her in there, and I got her some, you know, a juice and something else to eat, and then we took her home because, you know, mm. what, do you, what do you do? And our house was only, like, two blocks away. So we took her home and called the police, and the police came, and long story short, um, they wanted to take her to the police station, and we didn't want to just put her in the back of a police car yeah. by herself, um, and so we actually drove her there and stayed with her, and... A few hours later, her they found her mom, and she came to the police station and got her. Um, then we were just kind of, you know, sent back home. They took our statement and whatnot, but we went back home, and it just felt funny. Like, we came mm-hmm. home into our perfectly warm house that was safe, and, you know, we had more than enough food, more than enough clothes, just I mean, we had everything compared to this little girl, yeah. and it's just something that you know, we kind of went about our, you know, daily life, but it's just something that I couldn't get off my mind. 
and I just kept thinking about it. And I was even, I was waking up at night thinking about this little girl, just hoping and praying that she was safe and that Mm -hmm. someone was looking out for her that, that, you know, truly cared about her needs. And so that's when I started researching foster care, um, just realizing that, yeah, it's something that I was felt really burdened for and realizing that there's a solution here. Like foster care is what, you know, we have in the United States, in the United States instead of orphanages. And it's a, I think it takes, you know, I think it gets a bad rap, but really it's a good system Mm -hmm. and it has, um, yeah, it just does a lot of good for, for kids. Um, so anyways, researched that, but kind of felt like, uh, you know, we're only a few months married. I'm not sure that (laughs) this is something we should do. And so, um, funny story, we actually applied for the Big Brothers Big Sisters program and our application got denied. And (laughs) we're kind of looking at this thinking, I, I mean, I literally called the guy and I'm like, I don't know what to say. Like, and I don't mean this to be, you know self-righteous but I'm a good person <laughs> like yeah. I don't think I have anything on my record mm-hmm. and it's just like it didn't make sense and kind of we came to the realization that you know what I think God just closed this door and you know they wouldn't tell us why and you know it's whatever and so we just kind of yeah decided that okay well I guess we're not supposed to do that let's apply for foster care wow. and so we applied um, so how long had you been married when you started the foster care I think process? we went to the intro class in February of 2016. So, um, and then we started classes shortly after our first anniversary. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we'd been married one year wow. when we started classes. And so we took the classes, um, and then that's kind of when this whole we kind of realized that this would be about waiting. Mm. Um, Because after we finished our classes, it wasn't like all of a sudden we could just take children yet. We had to wait for our license, and we had to wait a lot longer than we were initially told we'd have to wait. Mm. So we, you know, we kind of thought, oh, we'll be, you know, licensed in September. And um, it wasn't until a couple days before Christmas that I was sitting at work and I got the call from my our caseworker that our license was approved and oh by the way would you take two boys mm-hmm. um, which we had kind of said like we should just start with one child that's what <laughs> yeah. most people in the world do let's just start with one but we got this call for two kids and we actually got a number of calls after of that just because the need for foster families is great. Mm. And so we were just getting a lot of calls, but we kind of just hung on to that very first call we got and just kind of felt like, how I think we need to meet those boys. And it wasn't an urgent situation because they were actually in a different foster home that just wasn't able, it, it was a little much for them. They were a slightly older couple and I think taking care of a baby and a one-year-old, that's a lot. Yeah. And so they were just looking for a different home for them. So it wasn't a rush, which was good kind of for us to ease into it a little bit. (laughs) Um, So yeah, we met Nathan and Cameron on 
uh, I think, December 29th of 2016. Mm-hmm. So that was almost a year after you had started the process, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yep, yep. And uh, then they moved in the beginning of January. And at that time, we were told that their particular case was one that was likely going to end in adoption. Uh, neither of their biological parents were really achieving the goals that DHS had set out for them in order to get their children back. And so mm-hmm. it just wasn't looking like that was something that was going to happen for these particular parents. And so, you know, obviously we kind of got our hopes up right away mm-hmm. and started dreaming about a future with these boys. And then kind of as the months go on, they have different court dates as part of the foster care system. And so we had, you know, scheduled permanency hearings and various things that we had to, you know, show up to and basically just wait for a judge to kind of read over the details of the case that the, the social worker types up and then decide what should happen with these children. Mm-hmm. And um, so we went to one in March kind of hoping that, it would move toward permanency hearing, and it didn't. It got deferred to May. And so then May, we were really hopeful that, again, that it would move to permanency, Mm -hmm. and the judge deferred again. And so then I think that put us to July, and, um, and that's when their biological father had actually started making some progress, doing some things that had been required of him I think he you know he was had clean drug tests and had gotten a job and and these are things that we were very excited for him you know we we want him to and we still today we want him to succeed and do well and um so it's just kind of a an odd feeling of wanting this other person to succeed Mm -hmm. but knowing that his success meant our loss yeah well and feeling like you're probably already at that point feeling like the role of a mother, but yeah. you have no control over right. these kids' futures and if right. they're going to be in your future or not. Mm-hmm. Like you, you just had zero control in that situation. Right, right. And it was a situation where there wasn't going to be a mother figure mm-hmm. in their life. Mm-hmm. Their their mom, their biological mom was in prison at the time and you know, she wasn't going to be there for them. And so, yeah, that, that, that was hard. And, you know, he, he definitely was succeeding in a number of areas, but it was still, there were a number of things happening that we still just couldn't help feel like it still just wasn't the best situation for them. Um, and, you know, obviously we had fallen in love with them and we only wanted the best for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we didn't just want okay. We wanted the best. And so, yeah, that was hard, but it's, it's kind of part of the process. And ultimately we, we did want their biological father to, to grow and succeed and, um, you know, not feel like a failure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so, then at the July court hearing is when the judge um, made a plan for the boys to ultimately go back full-time to their biological father by September. Mm-hmm. 
And so the visits started increasing um, the time that he had them. So I think, you know, he was having them like four times a week. And eventually he was having them for like eight hours a day and then overnights. And so we were already feeling this loss and just all that time of not having them with us and just wondering, you know, what's going on and are they being cared for? And, um, yeah, it was just hard. And, and we were heartbroken. We had, you know, really hoped to keep them, but we also know that part of the foster care system is that, the goal is reunification mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. is uniting these families and and that's a good thing you mm-hmm. know and i was challenged many times to think about what god would want and you know prior to sin entering the world there weren't broken families mm-hmm. you know all families were united and whole and this brokenness didn't exist and so, yeah, I was just really challenged to think that, you know, to to really try to want them to have a full unified family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where we began really supporting their biological father. Um, after the boys went back to him full time, we were kind of his only real support system. He mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of people in his life who were really helping him succeed. I mean, he, and he was a single dad with two very Mm -hmm. small children and that's not something you can just do on your own with no support system. So how much interaction did you have with him once the boys went back full time with him? We talked to him, I mean, multiple times a week and we would have, we would have the boys over there or there was times where he needed to go to his counseling. And so I would just say, Hey, you know, just drop, you know, I want you to be able to go to that. So yeah. why don't you bring the boys over and we'll just feed them supper while you, um, you know, go to your counseling session or, um, we'd have them overnight wow. number of there. I, I think by, by the spring we were having him two nights a week and taking them to daycare and, um, I, mean, I took them to all of their doctor's appointments mm-hmm. and just some of that, you know, we, and we really did, you know, obviously we did it cause we wanted to be with them and we loved yeah. them, but we really did want to support him and try to help him succeed. Wow. And so, um, kind of, we kind of lived in that pattern for about eight months. Um, how did you, I'm just listening and just the amount of self-sacrificial love that you guys showed to those boys, knowing in in that moment, you didn't think you would ever have them back permanently, yeah. um, but to still love them truly and to give time and give of your effort and money at that point because you weren't fostering them. So right. this is coming out of your own pocket and... So how did you just process that? And what were, was there even just some truth or some scripture that you held on to during that time of just loving them unconditionally, even though you didn't think you would ever have them back permanently? Yeah, it was definitely a hard season that kind of that in between that unknown, you know, Mm -hmm. you guys talked about that at the beginning, like those seasons of where you just don't know what's Mm -hmm. next. And that's really what that was. And it was hard, but 
looking back, we were really near to God in that Mm -hmm. time period just because we were relying on him. We couldn't rely on ourselves. You know, we had zero control over the situation. And so our only option was to rely on God. And so I know, um, you know, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 is one that we just held on to a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight and just trusting that God protected those boys when yeah. I wasn't there. Yeah. And really he can do that better than I could anyways. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that, you know, in the middle of the night I would just have to cling to that knowing that God had them, God was watching over them. And and that's actually really, you know, when I rest in that, that's power. Yeah. And, um, you know, so yeah, I, th- I think it was just a season of learning to trust that, you know, God is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. I don't understand it. I don't see what's next, mm-hmm. but, but he does. And, and he could watch over them yeah, when sure. I couldn't. So after the eight months of doing the back and forth, um, what happened next? Yeah, so we, it was a night we actually had, we had the boys overnight. They were sleeping with us and it was really early one morning. I think it was like five o'clock in the morning and Aaron and I were both up. The boys were still sleeping. I I don't remember if Aaron was working out or something. And um, all of a sudden he he was walking down the steps and he just paused and just stood there. (laughs) And I was like, what are you doing? And he like, he couldn't speak. He was Uh looking at his phone and he like couldn't talk. And I was like, what's going on? (laughs) And he like, he said, Nate just texted me about adopting the boys. And it's like, what? (laughs) Show me that. (laughs) You know? And sure enough, he had texted, um, just saying that he really felt like he wanted us to adopt them. And, um, not because he didn't love them. Mm -hmm. It was because he knew that he wasn't providing for them what they needed, and Mm -hmm. he knew that we not only could but wanted to. Mm -hmm. And so he he really, in my mind, and this is what I always tell the boys in the future, is he chose love. Like he he made this decision. None of it was selfish. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so that he could just step out of parenting. That Mm -hmm. wasn't it at all. He he made this decision out of love because he knew that it's what was best for them. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, then that kind of, you know, we were very excited, but it was still more waiting Mm because, you know, it's kind of this thought of like, you know, is he going to change his mind? Yeah. Is he serious? Like, is he just saying this? I almost or, feel like you have to guard your excitement in that Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, you know, even at the beginning, I'm like, we can't tell like every, you know, we can't yeah. tell a bunch of people mm-hmm. because we don't know if he's serious. And, um, you know, so we called our parents and who are all extremely supportive throughout our, this entire um, time period. And um, anyway, so we, we contacted an attorney and just kind of proceeded with a private adoption at that mm. point. It wasn't with DHS. They were not involved. Um, 
and in the middle of June is when their biological father signed his um, parental rights Mm -hmm. away. And at that point is when we were given um, parental responsibility. They weren't ours, but through our attorney, she gave us full responsibility of them. And then we had... We were given a six-month time period to wait. So at least this time we had like an <laughs> end in sight. Waiting. More waiting. <laughs> yes, more waiting, but we had a like clear end date. And mm-hmm. so that was really exciting. And then it was just kind of a matter of just, you know, sitting tight and waiting. And so in November is when it was actually, it's called Adoption Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in Des Moines and the courthouse is open only for adoptions. I'm pretty sure it's the happiest day in the courthouse (laughs) all year. Yeah. Um, And that's when we adopted them and they got our last names and felt Mm. very real. Um, Wow. So is there any part of you, Grace, that when you look back on some of this experience, you're able to see in hindsight, like, why did God have me wait for these months and months for this to happen? Yeah. So... In the same week that we learned that the boys were going back to their biological father in a few months is when I uh, had a doctor's appointment where I learned that I, the heart condition that I had was much more severe than I thought it was. Mm. And that resulted in my cardiologist um, telling me that I needed to have open heart surgery within the matter of within a matter of the year. And that was something we totally did not expect. Mm-hmm. I wasn't having any symptoms or anything. It was just all based on the test, something that they could see that needed to happen soon. And so anyways, in, you know, fast forward to September is when the boys went back to their biological dad. And then December is when I had open heart surgery. Hmm. And that, you know, following that was extensive recovery. And then followed by in January, I started three months of cardiac rehab. And so, you know, looking back now, I can see that had God given us Nathan and Cameron as our sons back in the fall of 2017, like I wanted, I couldn't have gone through surgery and Mm. recovery like I did Mm -hmm. or recovered like I did. And it just would have been so much harder with trying to, while trying to raise two toddlers at the same time. And so looking back, it's just, I can see that God had it all planned out from the Mm -hmm. beginning. He not only gave me space and time to recover, but he gave their biological father a chance to really try and mm-hmm. parent them and ultimately come to the decision that um, we should take on the role of parents in their life. But, you know, that's just something that at the time I didn't see. Mm-hmm. And then looking back, I can see that, you know, God God had this under control yeah. and he had this planned more perfectly than, than I could have ever. Huh. Yeah. Wow. So just as you look back in that whole process of starting fostering, 
loving the boys through fostering and waiting on adopting them, what were a few of the truths that you held on to in that season? Sure. So I think probably the the verse that I clung to the most is Second Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, where it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because it really was a season where I was weak. Mm-hmm. I had nothing, and it was hard. And, you know, my power alone wasn't sufficient, or anything I could do on my own, you know, with my own will wasn't sufficient or couldn't sustain me. Yeah. It really was. God and and kind of like I said, there's so many nights that I would just lie awake wondering if they're okay, and um, you know I would just have to remind myself of these verses and just play them over in my head and just tell myself that God is watching them, mm-hmm. and that's the the best eyes to have on them that yeah. there are. Um, and just some others, just knowing that. Adoption is something that is all over scripture. Mm-hmm. It's something that God calls us to do. It's something that, you know, God, Jesus t- tells us to take care of orphans and widows. And it's just, it's something that God values. Mm-hmm. And I, I think just reading those verses mm-hmm. in scripture mm-hmm. also is mm-hmm. just a good reminder that what I, what we're doing is something God calls us to do, even though it's hard. God calls us to do hard things all the time. Mm. Um, and just reminding myself that this is something, like God led us here. God put us in this situation. God wants us here. And just using scripture to remind myself of that was really powerful. Yeah. What would you say through all this you've learned about God? What have you learned about waiting? And then what would you say maybe to people um, – walking through any kind of hard season of waiting, whatever that might look like? Yeah. So I think what I've learned about God in this particular season of waiting is just, I I think he wanted to really mold my character. Mm -hmm. And I'm someone who likes to be in control. Mm -hmm. I, I like plans and I like being organized and I like, you know, knowing what the calendar says and this was just a time in my life where I just knew none of that and I think that God used this situation to just show me that you know what he's really in control of everything and in a way such better than I would do anyways and so there's that for that first of all and then you know just learning patience and learning to trust him you know that Mm -hmm. was all woven into this um and just also resting in the fact that his ways are higher than my ways. And I don't understand it all. I There are things that I'll never understand, but I can just rest knowing that he does, and mm-hmm. and that's enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I would say to someone else is in a season of waiting is just, you know, the basics, prayer and scripture. Um, just clinging to those Mm -hmm. at all hours of the night. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, I think the most 
maybe those are the most important, but also what's important is to not wait alone, like to involve other people. Like for us, our family was absolutely amazing. I mean, both my mom and Aaron's mom were just total prayer warriors throughout Mm -hmm. this entire process. And actually, it's kind of been fun. The past few months, my mother-in-law has been sending me screenshots of her journal entries from a year ago, where she was like just praying for God to give us Nathan and Cameron. And it's just amazing to have that support system that um, is walking with us in the faith. Yeah. Um, And then, I mean, there was a time where my mom texted me and she said, you know, her and my dad and my siblings were all going to fast for us and pray mm-hmm. for a time period. And so, yeah, just not being in it alone, just yeah. having support. And then also our connection group, both last year and this year, was amazing. Mm-hmm. Just having people who were encouraging us every single week was, it. I mean, they were just totally amazing and with us in prayer and um just people that we could contact anytime for anything I mean there was one night someone in our group when we did when we were kind of new in foster care they literally went to the store at like 9 p.m and got us apple juice yeah I mean just things like that that it was just amazing to have a group that you just we just knew we could ask them for anything Mm -hmm. and they would do it and um yeah so don't wait alone. I think that's probably my advice to anyone in a season of waiting is involve other people because we all grow in seasons of waiting and yeah. and we can do that with others. And we've all waited on something. We wait every day on little things. Yeah. And so I think it's just something that a lot of us, well, I think all of us can relate to yeah. the topic mm-hmm. of waiting. Mm-hmm. And people can learn by watching you wait well, too. Right. Yep. So your connection right. group, they all learned something in waiting with you. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the benefit of waiting in community also. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, we like to just tie things back to the gospel and just hearing hearing your story, how would you say the gospel intersected with your life in that point in that time yeah I just I think that adoption is the gospel I think that you know when I just think about my life I had no chance at life until God adopted me as his daughter right Mm -hmm. so I think that it 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 is yeah I just think adoption is the gospel and I think that like I said caring for orphans is a kingdom value and it's Mm -hmm. something that we're called to do and um yeah thanks so much for sharing your story and um just telling us about your season of waiting and um for anyone who is interested in pursuing foster care um what would be a next step for them I think um First and foremost, just pray about it, you know, um, ask God if it's something that you or your family should pursue and then talk to someone, talk to someone who's done it. Um, Aaron and I are more than happy to sit down and talk to people who are considering what foster care might look like in their life or with their family. And there are a number of other people in our church who are willing to do that. We actually have a foster care adoption group that 
we're just kind of starting to meet every so mm-hmm. often and just kind of create a community for people who can um, just be on this journey together. And um, so, yeah, reach out. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Grace. Um, yeah, we're blessed by just hearing your story and um, hearing what it's looked like for you to wait on the Lord and not know what that's going to look like. Um, but it's a sweet outcome that you, you're, you have a beautiful family, and so it's fun to celebrate that with you. Thanks for joining us.